Thank you, Sister Natalie. Seemed like uh, just yesterday that you were the ages of Adam and Claire. <laughs> we greet you to the house of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ, as we're commanded to do. We trust that our preparation may be sufficient that we can enjoy the gift and power of the Holy Ghost this morning. We're happy to have uh, as a guest minister this morning, Elder Tim Carr. Tim comes from the, and Natalie and family come from the South Chrysler Restoration Branch. And Tim, it is a joy to have you here this morning. My brothers and I would like to uh, call your attention to the 77th section of Doctrine and Covenants from verse 4. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye are little children, and ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father has in his own hands and prepared for you, and ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. And he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious. And the things of this earth shall be added unto him even a hundredfold, yea, more. Wherefore, do the things which I have commanded you, saith your Redeemer, even the son of Ammon, who prepareth all things before he taketh you. For ye are the church of the firstborn. And he will take you up in the cloud and appoint every man his portion. And he that is a faithful and wise steward shall inherit all things. Amen. Would you now turn with us to hymn number 342, number 342.
our Heavenly Father, it is with thanksgiving that we come here this morning to hear your word, to be able to feel the presence of your spirit, to listen for your voice, even that still small voice, which would uh, impart to us direction and guidance. We pray, Lord, that that uh, good spirit might uh, rest upon our brother Tim here this morning, that his uh, thoughts might be opened that his mind might be clear as to uh, those things that you would have him to speak to us uh, in this hour. We are so thankful, Father, for the uh, gift of your Son, for the gift of this gospel, for the, uh, the wonder and the amazement and the joy which many times we have uh, felt in the past. And we pray, Lord, that um, even this morning, that uh, we might be found uh, worthy to uh, receive your presence here in this hour. We pray, Lord, that uh, those things of the world, those wrong decisions that we have made, those times when uh, our thoughts have uh, strayed from the uh, vision of the kingdom, might, uh, that you might forgive us, that uh, we would, um, our thoughts might be pure, that our hearts might be sanctified before you, For, Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would be here uh, even uh, in this hour and that all things might be uh, to your glory and honor. And we pray these things through the name of your Son, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Offertory scripture I'd like to read from Doctrine and Covenants, section 72, 1 B, C, and D. For verily thus saith the Lord, it is expedient in me for a bishop to be appointed unto you or of you unto the church in this part of the Lord's vineyard. And verily in this thing ye have done wisely, for it is required of the Lord at the hand of every steward to render an account of his stewardship, both in time and eternity. For he who is faithful and wise in time is accounted worthy to inherit the mansions prepared for them of my Father. Will you bow with me? Our righteous and eternal Heavenly Father, we thank thee for all the wondrous gifts that thou hast so generously bestowed upon us. And now as we give back unto thee a portion of what thou hast given us, help us realize that all that we are, all that we have, belongeth unto thee. And that what we give today is but a small portion. Bless us that we be wise stewards. This we ask in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
For a scriptural text this morning, I'd like to go to section 64 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And this was given to uh, the elders who were leaving for Zion, and it was given uh, through Joseph Smith, Jr. as he was preparing to travel southeast of Kirtland to continue his work on the Inspired Version, which we spoke about this morning. It says this, Wherefore, as ye are agents, and ye are on the Lord's errand, and whatever ye do according to the will of the Lord is the Lord's business, and he hath set you to provide for his saints in these last days, that they may obtain an inheritance in the land of Zion. And behold, I the Lord declare unto you, And my words are sure and shall not fail, that they shall obtain it. But all things must come to pass in their time. Wherefore, be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work. And out of small things proceedeth that which is great. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His record. I'm thankful to be here this morning, saints, thankful to be here with my family, and I greet you from your uh, brothers and sisters at South Chrysler. I want to testify to you that the words in your monthly theme are true. His word will not fail you. He has a plan. His promises are sure. And how do we know this? How do we know that God and the Word of God will not fail us? And one answer to that is perhaps an intellectual answer. And that is because He never has before. Past is prologue. 
Past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. But the other proof of that, saints, an even more important proof that must come to your heart and to your mind. It's not proven by the intellect. It's proven through the Spirit of God. We're told in the uh, second Corinthians that the things of God are spiritually discerned. And one truth, the primary truth that comes from the revelation of that Spirit of God is that God is. And that He has certain rights in your life. And that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Spirit will also confirm to you that this church is true. That it is His church. And that the kingdom of God on earth, even Zion, will become a reality. There's no equation that you can come up with that will prove that to you. There's no scientific experiment, if you will, that will prove that truth to your heart and your mind. But if you'll do the will of God, if you'll do the things that He's asked you to do, you can be confident, you can rest assured that as you do those things, His Spirit will meet you. And the truth that God is, that Jesus is the Son of God, those truths will be revealed to you through His Spirit. And it will be in His time and in His way. Some of the most beautiful testimonies I've heard of this work have been offered by saints who have simply said, I read the books. I did what was in them, what it said to do within them. And the Spirit of God confirmed to me that they were true. And I find that testimony just as powerful and just as meaningful as one who has an angel stand by their bedside. Or one man in our congregation at South Chrysler, he was walking up the church steps one day as a young man. He hadn't joined the church. And the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice and said, This is my church. The Lord will speak to you. I don't get an opportunity to uh, worship with you as often as I'd like. I know many of you not as well as I'd like to. And so I don't know if this statement, saints, will apply to uh, you here at Buckner. But I can tell you what I see having traveled uh, to various congregations, not only in the center place, but in outlying areas. And what, is, what I see is a people that are discouraged. A people that in uh, many cases are just kind of holding on. Maybe going through the motions, if you will. And I want to share a testimony with you. This took place about ten months ago. I hope this will bring you some comfort. It's a truth that you know to be true, but perhaps this testimony will bring the good spirit to convict you of this truth in a way that only the spirit can. It was a um, Sunday evening service at South Chrysler. And I was scheduled to give the benediction that evening. And I had been praying to the Lord about uh, what I should offer to him on behalf of his people. And I continued in prayer as I was up on the rostrum that evening. And the answer came to me, came to me in, in a way that uh, there was left no room for doubt. And the instruction was, pray for those whose faith has grown weak 
and whose hope has grown dim. And I, I'll be honest with you, I almost didn't do it because it didn't seem to flow at all with the service, with the message. But when the Lord tells you to do something, you need to do it. So I did. And after that service, a number of saints in the congregation informed me that their prayer had been answered that night. That they had come to that service in particular with a terrible sense of discouragement. And so saints, I want you to know that the Lord is aware of you. He's aware of you individually. He's aware of this branch. He's aware of His church. Tremendously aware. Intimately aware. And we're told in uh, section 32 of the Doctrine and Covenants that God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As the hymn says, I believe it's uh, hymn 7 in your books, He sees our hope and He knows our fear. And He has promised us, I believe it was the book of John, 14th chapter, that He will not leave us comfortless if we'll continue to seek Him, if we'll continue to do the things that He's asked us to do. The Word of God will not fail you. And I know this isn't a courtroom, but I want to present some evidence this morning that supports that statement. And I want to start in the very beginning. From the beginning, and we say the beginning because we don't have a way using temporal language to describe something that is eternal. And so I hope you'll forgive me. But in the beginning, from the very beginning, we know that God's work and His glory, the thing that brings Him joy, the thing that motivates Him, has been to bring to pass your immortality and eternal life. And those are two different things. Immortality is breaking the bands of death. Eternal life isn't just living a long time. Eternal life, I believe it's Apostle Oakman that talks about it, it's a quality of life. A quality of life spent in the presence of our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Scriptures tell us to know Jesus Christ is eternal life. And so this has been God's work from the very beginning. And can you imagine if you were an outside observer when Adam and Eve fell and they partook of the tree that they were forbidden to partake of? Can you imagine from a human perspective you would look upon their condition? They were cut off physically and spiritually from God's presence. And the human nature in us would say all hope was lost, that the plan of salvation had been frustrated. But what did God do? He used their sin. He served with their sin, if you will, to bring about His purposes and to preserve the plan of salvation for you, for me, and for all of God's children. What did He do? There was another tree in that garden, the tree of life. And He guarded it, did He not, with, uh, with angels, with a flaming sword, because He knew... If they would have eaten of the tree of life after their transgression, there would have been no death. They would have lived forever, but the 8th chapter of Alma says they wouldn't have lived in the presence of God. And that has implications not just for Adam and Eve, but certainly for each and every one of us. There would have been no space of time in which to repent to come back into His presence. It would have been endless misery. The Lord wasn't going to allow that to happen. And so He used, He protected that tree of life and He sent His only begotten Son to prepare a way whereby you and I and all of His creation might return to Him in this life and in the life to come. God said that uh, of Noah's posterity, each one of us is among the posterity of Noah, that of Noah's posterity would come all nations. 
And I imagine, again, if you were from the outside looking in, during the time of Noah, a time when the earth was corrupt and full of violence, the Scriptures say there were eight righteous people on the face of the earth. You must have looked at that. You would have looked at that and said, there's no way that this is going to happen. There's no way that that promise will be fulfilled. But it was. It has been fulfilled. And you know what God did to preserve uh, Noah and his family. God told Abram, later Abraham, that he would be a father of many nations. And when the Israelites spent hundreds of years in bondage again, it must have seemed impossible that God's promise would be fulfilled. But Moses was raised up by the Lord for a special purpose, the fourth great-grandson of Abraham. And at the perfect time, when all hope seemed to be lost, the Lord used him to lead the Israelites out of bondage and preserve God's covenant people. And he's going to do the same in this day and age, brothers and sisters, as you see what's happening in the world. The Lord will preserve His covenant people again. God made good on His promise. He fulfilled that covenant that He made with Abraham. And how about Samuel the Lamanite? Who prophesied that Jesus Christ was coming to the earth in five years. Find that in the fifth book of Helaman. In five years it almost passed. And what happened? The faith and the hope of the people began to grow very dim. And here's what's recorded in uh, the third book of Nephi, the fourth chapter. Excuse me, the first chapter, starting with the fourth verse. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the ninety and second year, behold, the prophecies of the prophets began to be fulfilled more fully. For there began to be greater signs and greater miracles wrought among the people. I want you to watch, I want you to listen for the parallel between that time and the time that we're living in. But there were some who began to say that the time was past for the words to be fulfilled which were spoken by Samuel the Lamanite. And they began to rejoice over their brethren saying, Behold, the time is past. And the words of Samuel are not fulfilled. Therefore, your joy and your faith concerning this thing hath been in vain. Are there some today that would say the same about the return of Christ, the coming forth of the kingdom? And it came to pass that they did make a great uproar throughout the land, and the people who believed began to be very sorrowful, lest by any means those things which had been spoken might not come to pass. The doubt started to creep in. Maybe the Word of God to us will fail. But behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day which should be as one day, and as, a, as if there were no night, that they might know that their faith had not been vain. Now it came to pass, there was a day set apart by the unbelievers that all those who believed in those traditions should be put to death. The stakes were a little higher then. Except the sign should come to pass which had been given by Samuel the prophet. Now it came to pass that when Nephi, the son of Nephi, saw this wickedness of his people, his heart was exceeding sorrowful. And it came to pass that he went out and bowed himself down upon the earth and cried mightily to his God in behalf of his people. Yea, those who were about to be destroyed because of their faith and the tradition of their fathers. And it came to pass that he cried mightily unto the Lord all that day. And behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, Lift up your head and be of good cheer. For behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall the sign 
be given. And the sign was given. Jesus Christ did come to the world. That prophecy, that word of the Lord was fulfilled. Jesus told His disciples that He will be crucified, but He will rise again on the third day. And when He was crucified, you can imagine the sorrow, the fear that they must have felt. And despite the fact that He told them that He was coming back, they didn't entirely believe Him. He appeared to two of them as they were walking to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Him at first. But soon they did. And not only did the disciples, but many others would come to know that Jesus was alive. That He had broken the bonds of death. And so it is true today that Jesus is alive. Jesus lives. And He fulfilled His promise. He did exactly what He said He was going to do. He says in Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus does, that He was, would build His church And he also said something important that was a prophecy of that which is to come. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know by those words that the gates of hell were going to attempt to prevail against it and have attempted and are continuing to attempt to destroy His church. But what did He say? They will not prevail. And so what happened? We know there was a falling away. We know that uh, spiritual darkness covered the earth. And what happened to the church? This is incredibly important. Did the church apostatize? No. The church, the Scriptures say, went into the wilderness. It was preserved and protected for a time when it would be restored and come forth again. Two days, I believe it was, if I'm reading the Scriptures correctly, two days before Jesus was crucified, He spoke these words. You'll find them in Matthew, the 24th chapter. And we talked this morning in class about the the beauty, the miracle that is the new translation, the inspired version. And here's one of those miracles. Matthew, the 24th chapter and the 27th verse. I'm going to read the inspired version account first. And then I'm going to read to you it as it appears in the King James Version. For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west and covereth the whole earth, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And here it is in the King James Version. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Which is a more correct translation? That prophecy that Jesus gave to comfort His disciples. And not long after that, when He told them, about the light shining from the east to the west. He also said, these are important words for our day, whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. That prophecy, saints, has been fulfilled. I want you to think about Think about the light that has come from the east and shone to the west throughout the course of human history. 
Think about Columbus. We know an angel appeared to him, gave him the keys of the Western Ocean. Think about the Reformation. The light that again began to start shining. Think about the pilgrims came forth from that Reformation. Do you remember what their pastor said to them as they were getting ready to leave? He charged us before God and His blessed angels. If God should reveal anything to us by any other instrument of His to be as ready to receive it as any truth by His ministry. For He was very confident the Lord had more light and truth shining from the east to the west yet to break forth out of His holy word. That prophecy was fulfilled. It was fulfilled when a young boy had a vision in the woods where God the Father appeared to him, turning to his son and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. said he had a work for him to do. That his name would be had for good and bad among all generations. And more of that light shone forth through the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. The establishment of the Church of Jesus Christ. The restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ in 1830. Jesus said the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And He made good on His promise through the restoration. This wonderful work comes forth. And 14 years after the church is restored to the earth, tragedy strikes. The prophet is killed. His brother is killed. The church is sent into disarray. Confusion. Again, it must have seemed that the gates of hell were going to prevail. What a parallel to our day. There was confusion. There was discord. There were numerous factions. There were false doctrines. There were false prophets. Was the Lord going to allow the gates of hell to succeed? No. What did he do? He spoke, I believe it was in 1851 or 1852, to uh, Zenas Gurley. He spoke to Jason Briggs. They had been associated with some of these factions, with J.J. Strang and William Smith. And what did he tell them to do? He said, cast off all those who claim to be prophets and go and preach my gospel as found in the books. That was the message. And then he said a third thing. That the time would come when he would raise up the seed of Joseph Smith Jr. and set the church in order. Did the Lord make good on that promise? Yes, He did. The gifts of the Spirit from that time forth started to become uh, more manifest in the life in the lives of the saints. And Joseph Smith III did come forth in eighteen sixty, a young man at the time. And what did he say? I come in obedience to a power not my own. Church was reorganized. 30 years from the date that it had been restored. Again, the gates of hell did not prevail. What a miracle, saints, the reorganization was and is. I hope the truth of that, even in our scattered and fractured condition, I hope you apprehend the truth that this is a continuation of the reorganization. If it's not, there's not much reason for our existence. But we are a continuation so long as what? 
We maintain the authority of the priesthood. And we preach and teach the pure and sacred doctrine of Jesus Christ. And we keep the ordinances and the sacraments of the church holy. And perform them, take part in them, just as we are instructed to do. Then we truly are a continuation of the reorganization. And I would add another thing. There must be present revelation in this church. He must continue to guide us and direct us and speak to us. And saints, He stands ready to do that. He stands ready to do that and He is doing that here at Buckner and at other branches. But He desires to speak to you and to commune with you to a far greater degree because He loves you. He's the best parent, best father you can imagine. He wants to be with His children. He wants to shower them with the greatest of His blessings. And if you haven't received those, it's not because He doesn't desire to give. It's because you have not and I have not done the things that we must do that we might receive. The church splits. Fast forwarding about 120 years. The church splits. Many of you endured the pain of that. 1984 comes. Really, the, of course, the, the foundation of that split had been laid for several decades. Maybe even longer. The leaders of the church fundamentally change attempt to change the teachings of the church, sacrament, the ordinances. And once again, perhaps it seemed that all hope again was lost. How would we worship again without any leadership, without any structure? Would we ever worship again? What would... What would the church look like for our kids in the next generation? I'm sure those were thoughts that had to be going through your mind at the time. But God moved. Through the restoration branches, He preserved the ordinances, the doctrine of the church, the priesthood. And again, as as hard as they have tried... And as hard as they continue to work today, the gates of hell have not prevailed. So we find ourselves, saints, in a time of discouragement, tremendous discouragement for some. I say that collectively, not individually. I know for some of you the hope of the kingdom still burns brightly within your soul. So the question that I posed to you this morning, Will God forsake us now? Will that promise that He made that the gates of hell will not prevail, will that, turn, will that come back to Him void? A broken promise. Not a chance. His Word will not fail you. He will not fail you. You know, He prophesied... You'll find it in Isaiah. You'll also find it in 3 Nephi, the 10th chapter. He prophesied about what would happen in the church and his attitude toward the church. He said this, 3 Nephi, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to start with the 15th verse. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, But with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. 
but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. God has promised that he will have mercy on his church. What holds us back, brothers and sisters, from greater spiritual heights? What holds you back? You know, Brother Davies, Brother Bill Davies were here today. I think I know what he would say. You'll find it at, toward the end of his book. You know what he says? It's the little things. The seemingly little things. Just as was spoken of in the opening scripture from section 64. That out of small things can come that which is great. Imagine how that could apply to your own life. Would keeping the Sabbath holy to a greater degree, could that small act of love for your Heavenly Father accomplish something which is great? Can I suggest a small thing, perhaps, that will strengthen your faith? that will grow your hope to the kingdom, that would even grow your numbers. I'm issuing this challenge to myself. And if you're already doing it, continue to do it, and you'll be blessed. Pray individually and collectively every time you meet. For the Lord to place one lost sheep in your path every day. You know these pews could be filled with those once active in this church. You know that. There are people sitting at home this morning. If they came, you probably couldn't house them all. That's how many that have fallen away become discouraged or distracted. Could we do that as a people? Could we do that individually? Pray each day that the Lord would bless us with one opportunity to bring light and truth into somebody's life. And pray that He'll send His Spirit to place on your heart and your mind in that moments, in, in, in those moments, the thing that, things that you should do and say. Brief testimony, a few years ago at South Chrysler, we handed out to Book of Mormons to members in the branch. And they were challenged to share those uh, several hundred copies with uh, someone in their daily walk of life. And several months have passed, and I don't know that I was very diligent in asking the Lord for an opportunity to give mine away. But... I started to make it a greater matter of prayer. And one day as I was traveling on business, I was in southeast Missouri. I went into a restaurant for lunch. I sat down, started to look at the menu. And suddenly somebody sat down across from me. Guessing you've never had that happen to you at a restaurant. (laughs) Maybe you have. A total stranger I had never met before sat across from me in that booth. And uh, he introduced himself. He was a Baptist minister at a congregation, a church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. So we had lunch together. We had a chance to, to visit and share. And at the end of that lunch, even I was... Um, capable of of realizing that this was my opportunity to share that Book of Mormon. And I not only shared the Book of Mormon, but we had a chance to share briefly about the kingdom. I said, you know, does the Baptist faith, do you preach and teach about a kingdom? He said, well, you know, I've heard about it. I, I I think it's coming to Jerusalem, he said. 
He didn't know much about it. It's plainly spelled out, 21st chapter of Revelation. But again, it's one of those plain and precious truths that was lost after Christ's ministry. Do you recognize that, saints, that there are millions, billions of people today that have no idea about the coming forth of a kingdom? That was the essence of Jesus' ministry. And yet, through the craftiness of men, through the, through the vain traditions of men, that truth, that hope, that tremendous hope that could burn within the souls of mankind has been lost. We have a great work to do, a tremendous responsibility. And so I would say to you saints, it's not time to give up. It never will be time to give up. It's time to fight. It's time to fight, not with words, not with harsh words, not with swords, not with weapons. It's time to fight with the power of our example, the conviction of our testimony in God and Jesus Christ in His church and the kingdom. It's time to fight for truth which is under assault each and every moment by the adversary which seeks to destroy all that is good, all that is true, including the church of Jesus Christ. It's time to fight for His church. It's time to fight for the kingdom. Zion is not an eternity away. We were told not that long ago that it's one righteous generation away. Zion is no further or closer than the spiritual condition of God's people justifies. John, the sixth chapter, I'll close with this. Remember Jesus saying this? Remember this account? He starts preaching. Here's what he was preaching, or at least a summary of it. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except he doeth the will of my Father who hath sent me. And what happened? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that Thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Son of God, brothers and sisters. In Him is life eternal. In His church we find the fullness of Him, and we will find it in no other place. There are easier paths that we can travel. Some have fallen away because the way has been hard. There are places that you could worship this morning that would require and expect less of you than that which this church requires of you. But you have not been called to do, this church has not been called to do what is easy. We've been called to do what is right and what is true. You know, as I was walking in here this morning, I apologize for going over. As I was walking in here this morning, I couldn't help but think, do you think this at times? Why did the Lord place me in this time and in this place, I almost feel like wouldn't the Lord wouldn't we have been better off if 
Joseph and Hiram would have been living in our day, perhaps we could have lived in their day. Well, I don't know if the church would have ever come forth if that had been true. But do you recognize and realize that the Lord put you in this time, in this place, even this congregation, because He blessed you with things, talents, gifts, that you uniquely have, that you must give, not just for yourself, but for others, for His church, for His kingdom, for those souls that sit at home today who are discouraged and who sit in darkness. You are called. You are commanded. He invites you. He pleads with you to use your time, your talents, your treasure, the blessings that He has given you. Not for things of the world that are dead, but for the things that bring life to your soul and to the souls of others. To whom shall we go, saints? But unto Jesus, that we might dwell in His kingdom. And more importantly, and this is where our emphasis should lie, that we might bring others with us into that kingdom. For as Apostle Oakman once said, it is true, that Zion is for those who build it for others. May God bless you. Almighty God, our Father who art in heaven, it has been a great joy and privilege to gather into thy house on this Sabbath day to worship thee. And Father, we have done so in spirit and in truth. And it has been a joy to see through the morning worship and through the class and through the preached word how you have weaved that common thread. And Father, we have heard thy truth this day through the word and through testimony. And Father, we know these things to be true. And Father, certainly we know we are in the last days. And I would ask at this time, as we pronounce this benediction upon this service, that you might place a hedge around your saints here this day from those physical and spiritual fiery darts.
that you might help them overcome in their daily life those temptations, those distractions, and even that discouragement. And Father, may you place those circumstances, those situations in their life, even this week, that you might bring into their path those lost sheep. And through the power of thy Holy Ghost, that you might bring those things to their remembrance, those scriptures, those kind words that you would have them to share with them, that those lost sheep might be encouraged and strengthened, and that they might find themselves in one of these pews one day. And so, Father, we pray these things. And as we depart from this service and enter into this meal, thank you for the ladies that have prepared this meal with singleness of heart. And may you bless this, bless this food that it might strengthen each one and nourish each one, that it will give us that strength, as our brother has shared, to fight on. And so it is, Father, we uh, pray these things and ask these things in the name of your only begotten Son, even Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.